All right, if you would, we are going to be continuing through the book of Mark. We are in Mark chapter 9. If you would turn your copy of God's Word, we're going to be looking at verses 30 through 41 this morning. Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 41. Once you have that, if you would stand with me as we read this, and then we will look at God's Word this morning. Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 30, it says, They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for uh, just a time to pause here in our busy lives and to consider what you have written for us. We thank you that your word is eternal and that it is as applicable to us today as it was in the day that it was written. And so, Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge us and equip us, that we might go forth as your servants. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Real quick before I forget, um, uh, there are some... uh, Leftover resources, I don't know if you'd call it leftover, but uh, some resources from the ladies' brunch yesterday out on the uh, table out there. If uh, uh, I know that uh, the women, especially those in women's ministry, the leaders would love to get those into your hands to help encourage you and equip you. So if you weren't able to attend yesterday, um, you can speak to my wife or any of the ladies' ministry team leaders uh, I know Sarah Miller and Jess Kahneman and uh, Vicki and uh, Helen, so check with any of them. So those are out on the, on the information table out in the foyer. So, Mark chapter 9. Started thinking through this text this week, and, and uh, it was kind of taking a while for it to all kind of click in. You know, you, you have these weeks where sometimes the, the message seems at first glance when you read through the text, it's like, oh, wow, that's an easy uh, application, an easy starting point. And then there's other times where you read through something and you're like, did I break this text up correctly for teaching because it seems like three random stories or whatever? Um, but the Lord was really faithful. You know, I, I talked last week about the importance of prayer. And all this last week, I was just struggling, struggling, and, and I had so many things that I had piled on my plate for the week, because I don't know how to say no, apparently, at times. And, and so I had all this list of things, and, and Friday rolls around, and I hadn't even started. And I'm like, all right, I've got to get this done, and I have no clue. And I just spent probably all day Friday morning praying. 
And you know, it was probably one of the fastest sermons the Lord has given me. As, as, you know, so it was just confirmation of last week, the importance of prayer. And I would just encourage you in that. And again, remind you, 9.15, we have prayer here this morning. So, started thinking about this text. This text is really about a classroom, is it not? It's about one of the most important uh, teachings that Jesus could start to unload on his disciples. He's getting ready. His ministry is dwindling down. He is on his way to Jerusalem. He is on his way to the cross. He is on his way to uh, death for all mankind. He's on his way. And he's got but days to spend with these disciples. You think about that, if you have but days and you know the hour of your death, there was a great theologian who once wrote that blessed is the man who always has on his mind the hour of his death. And you say, that's kind of morbid. No, what he's saying is we ought to be living in the light that eventually our death is coming and we don't know when it is coming and so we ought to be living with that thought in mind and how would it impact our lives if we are constantly living that the knowledge that I am not guaranteed tomorrow or the next day or the next day, but I am guaranteed this moment. And what do I do with that moment? And we look at Jesus and, and as we see his time on earth dwindling down and, and you think through, what would he want to communicate to these men right before his time had ended? What would be the most importance because these men, he's about to give the kingdom of the church over to them. He's about to give them the keys to the, to the church and say, it's yours. And, 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 and uh, whatever you loose on earth, you loose in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, you bind in heaven. And, and, and they are to be the leaders of the church. And I think there is some valuable lessons for us when we understand that here Jesus is getting ready to close his ministry on earth. And he says, I'm going to teach these men these things. What are they? I think through some of my favorite teachers, men that, that I would consult when I would struggle with a passage or, or, or something, you know, who are those men? Can you imagine having Jesus as that man? Well, brothers and sisters, we all have Jesus as that man. So the text starts, and we're going to walk through this um, Kind of through the story, I've got some points within the story that we're going to talk through, and then at the end, we're going to spend a lot of time in just application, because the reality is this text is about a kingdom, a clash of two kingdoms. So, starting in verse 30, it says, They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples. So, he, he's on his way back, he's, he's heading towards Jerusalem, he had set himself to Jerusalem. In fact, in, 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 I think it's in Matthew, it might be Luke, it says that Jesus had set his face like a flint, he was on his way and nobody was going to deter him, and, and so it says uh, he doesn't want anyone else to know. I love this part. It says, and he didn't want anyone else to know. Why? For he was teaching his disciples. What an incredible thing to think through that Jesus doesn't want anyone else to know. He didn't want to be distracted. He didn't want anyone. And, and the Greek phrasing there literally means he was teaching continually. So he was in classroom with these disciples. And what is he teaching them? And I think there is something incredibly valuable in understanding the first thing. And the, the, the first thing he addresses to them is the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days he will rise. What is it 
that Jesus says, I'm going to teach these guys what is of most importance, first and foremost, the gospel. The gospel. Is it not? Is that not what he's teaching them? In fact, the, the Greek there literally means the Son of Man is being betrayed, is being delivered. It's present tense right now, he's saying. Starting now, I'm being delivered. And, and he shares the gospel with them. And, and this is an incredible thought that we would pause and think through. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. So oftentimes we sit here and we say, well, what is the gospel? How do I, I don't know how to clearly communicate it. There are, there are a number of little passages like this that really tell us an easy simplicity of the gospel. That Jesus uh, was betrayed, he was crucified, he died, he rose again. That's the gospel. And those who believe in that and put their hope and trust uh, in that fact that Jesus lived, died for my sins, was buried, meaning he was dead, he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, and he offers for us a substitution for our works-oriented attempt at righteousness, which will be flawed always. And so Jesus offers us perfect righteousness. That's of first importance as Jesus is getting ready. And, and, and we ought to take note of that and pause and think through as we talk about what is church and we think of, of what is our purpose in life as, as ministers of the gospel, that the first and most important thing that Jesus thinks to teach his disciples as he is dwindling his life on earth of most importance to him is the gospel. And I find it fascinating that it says... In verse 32, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. They still didn't get it. But please, please take heart in this because I know that there are many of us who have family members, who have brothers, sisters, who have neighbors, co-workers that we share the gospel with and they don't get it. And we share the gospel with them and they don't get it. Well, guess what? Here is a note of encouragement. The disciples didn't get it, but eventually they did. Eventually, they did. So don't lose heart. Don't lose heart in sharing the gospel. Share the gospel because eventually they will get it. Eventually, they got it. I find it also interesting that we can learn for, as the text goes on. It says, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? There's an implication there that Jesus wasn't right next to him, he was probably in front of them, he was probably walking alone. And, and, and if you, I do this so oftentimes, I read through a passage and, and I just kind of read it and I don't actually stop and think about it, but when you do, you find that there are so many facets and amazing things that, that start to come in and, and you start thinking, for me at least, I start thinking about what were people thinking, I wonder. Yeah, it might be speculation, but there's some really interesting things that can come out of that. You know, for example, here, Jesus is probably walking alone in front of his disciples after he has taught them this, and, and think about what he's thinking. What's on his mind? That he's going to be betrayed. He's going to go and die. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows what his mission is. He knows what his purpose is. He's probably out in front walking alone, talking to the Father. He's, he's out there, and when you stop and think about that, he's, he's thinking about everything coming. Consider the circumstances. He's heading to his crucifixion. And what are the disciples doing behind him? They're arguing. 
And it would be one thing if they were just arguing, but what are they arguing about? So Jesus is out front thinking through uh, uh, his, his upcoming death and resurrection. He's thinking about probably what is going to happen and, and the, the suffering of, of having the weight of the world's sin put upon his shoulders, the separation from God the Father, thinking through uh, probably more than just the pain of the crucifixion. He's thinking about all these things, and the disciples are back there arguing, hey, I'm going to be the greatest. No, 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 I'm going to be the greatest. It gives me this kind of this picture of, I'm sure for you with kids, this never happens to you, but when I'm driving and, and in the back there's an argument going on and they're fighting and I can see Jesus almost like with, you know, in, in Jesus, it, it, I was about to tell a dad joke from the Bible and I, okay, I'll do it anyway. You know what vehicle Jesus drove? It was a Honda Accord. Because the disciples and Jesus were traveling in one accord. Okay, yeah. So I see that Kyle shaking his head. No. You'll need to know these, Kyle. I'm just training you. But but so you know, you can see Jesus out there in front, and the disciples are back there and and, and they're arguing. And 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 you know, what was Jesus thinking through? You know, he's probably thinking, you know, I'm about to be betrayed, and oh, by the way, the betrayer, he's right behind me. I mean, think about that. He's teaching about his death, and it meant nothing to them. They didn't understand, and they were too embarrassed to ask. He's trying to get it across to them. Over and over again, he's he's talking about the, the significance of him laying down his own life. That it was his choice, that it was his will. And he wants to sow the seeds, even though they don't understand, he's sowing seeds for a future reaping when they will understand. And that's the encouragement we ought to take when we are sharing the gospel. If they don't get it, we are sowing the seed. We are sowing the seed. And God can reap the harvest. This morning in prayer time, we, we read from Isaiah chapter 55, So shall I send forth my word, it shall not return void but it will accomplish that for which I intended it. So, going on in the story, in verse 33, we already read it, it says they come to Capernaum, that's the home base of Jesus' ministry, the headquarters, and they enter a house, most likely the house of Peter, um, and Jesus asked them, and the Greek there again, and I love looking at some of these tidbits, it says he asked them. This is where Greek and English don't help each other sometimes. The Greek there literally means he kept asking them. He kept asking them, hey, come on, guys, what were you thinking? What were you thinking about back there? What, what, come on, tell me, please. And for once in the ministry or the, the, the time of the disciples here, they're actually silent. It says, and in the Greek, there is the same concept. They kept being silent. Why? They were embarrassed because they had had an argument with one another about who was the greatest. And I find it interesting that in, in uh, Luke, it talks about the same story. It's kind of a, it implies that it was a heated argument, that they were, they were uh, getting uh, heated towards each other. And in fact, Luke actually gives us some insight. It says Jesus knew what they were thinking and discussing. That he had con- he had perceived that they were having this discussion. So why does Jesus ask? Remember, Jesus always asks things for a purpose. He already knows. He's he's God the Father incarnate. He knows, and so he knew, and he asked for a specific reason to set up a teaching moment, classroom. 
He sits them down, it says. He sat down, he called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. He took a child, and I find it interesting, this could very well have been Peter's child. They're probably in the house of Peter. You know, you can imagine Peter's child there, potentially. He grabs him, and the Greek implies that he took him up in his arms. He wrapped his arms around him, and he lifted him up. Jesus loved children. In fact, we're told in Scripture that there was only one time that Jesus was indignant towards his disciples. There was only one time he was truly upset with them, and it was when uh, they had kept the children from coming to Jesus. He looked at them with indignation. He said, don't. Stop these children from coming to me. Jesus loved the children. And so he takes his child up in his arm and he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. I want to kind of just look at this message for a second. So Jesus grabs his child, and, and, and you'll notice a couple of things. Number one, Jesus does not rebuke the disciples. They'd been arguing about who is the greatest. Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Jesus doesn't have a problem with ambition. He never has a problem with striving for excellence. Jesus is not uh, concerned with striving for good things and excellent things. What Jesus would correct is selfish ambition. There is a difference. We ought to be striving for greatness in the kingdom of God. We ought to be striving for excellence. Over and over again, there is a desire, an oppressing uh, desire from the Father to have His children strive for excellence. As a father, I want my children to pursue after excellence. I want them to excel in life. Jesus, he, In fact, if Jesus didn't want them to think about this, He would have said, stop it, you guys. You guys are fools. This isn't what I want from you. Instead, He says, you want greatness? Let me tell you how to get it. You want to be great? I'll tell you how. Greatness comes when you are willing to be the servant of all. And you ought to underline and circle that word all. He says, you want to be great? Here's how you be great. You are the servant of all. Not servant of those whom you love. Not servant of those who are good to you. Not servant of those who are kind. And the, the, the idea comes from other-centeredness. Someone who lives to the betterment and benefit of someone else. And we have the greatest model of this, as Mike read for us this morning in Philippians chapter 2. Paul tells us, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ. What was it? What is the mind that should be in us? Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but, Philippians 2, verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore God has highly exalted him, that he be greatest, that at his name every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So not only does Jesus say, here's how you achieve greatness, but I'm going to show you. That I am first and foremost. I am preeminent. I am God. I will come and I will be servant of all. Servant to the point of death. 
and God has highly exalted him. And so then Jesus, in fact, would later say in, in the turning point of this text, in, in Mark, he, he would say in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says, The Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve, to offer his life as a ransom. So how does this illustration then, you know, after he says all this, he says, if you want to be first, you should be last of all. And he takes this child, possibly one of Peter's kids, he wraps him up in demonstration of love for what? For the least viewed person in the room. You have to understand, in this culture, in Middle Eastern culture, children are always last. Children are always viewed last. That's why when the disciples saw these children rushing to Jesus, they said, no, 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 I don't think so. You're not going to. Because in in Jesus' culture, rabbis would have never touched a child. They would have never embraced him. They would have never, uh, a a child, if a child, you know, in Middle Eastern culture, uh, a a child is viewed as a child and and has no rights, has no uh, value until they become an adult. And so what Jesus is saying, the lesson is, when you love and serve one such child, you love and serve me. When you take care of the least of society, when you take care and love the least of, of people, because I think oftentimes we take the most, what we would say, most valuable, and we serve them. And we say, this is the person who deserves it. This is the person. And we elevate them. And the reality is Jesus is saying, no, no, the least, the least. The text goes on. It says, John says to him, I, I find this very interesting. John says to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. John interrupts Jesus. Now, it could be for one of two reasons. Either John was kind of an ADD um, keep in mind that John was the youngest of the disciples. I shared this in our elder meeting the other day. There's a good possibility John was a teenager. Can you imagine that? John the teenager following Jesus around. He ended up living the oldest. He, he, he uh, outlived all the other disciples for various reasons, some of them because their life was taken from them. But, but uh, John was the youngest. So this is actually the only recorded words of John in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I think it's either because he was uh, uh, distracted or he didn't want to talk anymore about this. There's potential that John is kind of getting a little uncomfortable with the fact that Jesus is saying, hey, you want to you wanna be great? You need to love the least. I could see that being uncomfortable. I can't think of how many times where the Lord has laid it on my heart to minister to somebody that I really don't want to minister to because it just doesn't look fun for me. It doesn't seem like a great idea in my mind. And so I try and change the subject. Oh, I'll go and do this instead, Lord. I could see John doing that. Oh, yeah, yeah. By the way, in your name, because you remember, he says, whoever receives one such child in my name. Oh, speaking of your name, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. The guys probably saw this man casting out demons and maybe they were jealous. 
Remember, they just had a failure in trying to cast out demons. And here this guy, who was not a part of them, was casting out demons. And so they said, stop. And what Jesus does is he corrects them. And, and, and we're going to get to the heart of all of this in just a moment. Let's just finish this text real quick. The guys might have been jealous. Jesus corrects them. He doesn't necessarily rebuke, but he corrects them. He says, if someone is doing this kind of work in my name, they aren't the enemy. How oftentimes as, as churches, we start to begin to say, well, it's our church. It's us. It's us and them. It's us and them. The reality is that Jesus says it's not a matter of us and them. Notice that two times John says they were not of us. They were not of us. And Jesus says, don't stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. What Jesus is getting at here is that the ministry of his work is not exclusive. It's not a competition. It's not a secret club. It's not a denomination. It is not, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, it's amazing. Years later, Paul says to the Corinthians, why are some of you saying, I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos, and I follow uh, Jesus? And, and over and over, pride creeps in with success, and it becomes a look at us. And what we have become. The reality that if we are working in the name of Jesus, we should be celebrating when our brothers and sisters have mighty, miraculous things done. For a long time, uh, uh, I viewed myself as a pastor of this small church, and, and I would go to pastor's meetings, and, and the reason why it was just constantly beat into my head was because I'd go to these meetings, and, and one of the inevitable first questions that's asked is, how large is your congregation? How many people attend your church? How many people? How many people? How many people? Because that is our mentality so oftentimes with the church. It is not about numbers. But it is about growth in the kingdom of God. And if we begin to look at it and say, well, that's a church of 2,000, and that's a church of 300, and that's a church of 500, and that's a church, who cares? We are one church who follow Christ. The reality is this may be the place that you fit in best. And so Jesus concludes this and he says, here's the reality. Because it's not some secret, exclusive thing, because the disciples, Disciples had must have gotten to this place where they said, look at what we have accomplished. We went out. Jesus sent us out. He gave us authority. He, he allowed us to do these miraculous things. And, and, and pride had probably creeped in. And, and, and Jesus says, no, no, listen to me. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. What is Jesus saying? The motive is everything versus the material. Just a little cup. Doesn't seem like a very significant thing. Jesus says that will get rewarded in heaven because they did it because you belong to me. Jesus is not, he's saying is this is not a division issue, but you will be rewarded for helping anyone who works in my name. So what is the overarching message of all this? And, and, and how do we take these, these kind of three separate lessons, and, and I want to hammer down on them because I think there are three contrasts 
when it comes to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of earth. And that's really what this is coming down to. Because Jesus is saying to his disciples, hey, listen, I only have a limited time with you. I want to give you my last parting words because you guys are the leaders. And this is why it's important to us because as the church today, we need to understand this and we need to live in light of this. And so Jesus says three contrasts. Number one, sacrifice versus self-absorption. Sacrifice versus self-absorption. Jesus says the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed after three days, he will rise. Jesus is saying the world says it is all about what I can get out of it. Carpe diem. It's the one who dies with the most toys, he wins. That's what the world is saying. Materialism, things that make me happy, this is what I need to absorb, and this is what I need to accomplish, is whatever I can do in this life and and get and, and see. And so people strive after the corporate world where they will step on people left and right to climb the ladder and to get as high as they can. And it is a rat race to get to the top. And Jesus says, no, no, no. That's the way of the world. Jesus says, what good is it if a man gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? And he says, this is what is of most importance, the gospel, that our Savior is the only one who deserved everything and he gave everything. So when we consider the church and we consider what it means to live like a believer, we ought to understand that our number one heart motive that should contrast us to the world is that we feel uh, the importance and understand the importance of sacrifice versus self-absorption, being consumed with self versus consumed with sacrifice, that God gave everything. When I'd ask, you know, when we start to think about this, what does your heart look like? When we consider this, that Jesus said to his disciples as he's thinking through, as he's walking, can you imagine the, the heaviness on his heart as he's getting one step closer to his death as he approaches Jerusalem? With each step, he's one step closer. One step closer. And on his heart and on his mind is death on a cross. But it's not, I don't think, just simply the hardships of the death, but I think there is joy because we are told in Hebrews that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. I think as he approached, that was on his heart and his mind was sacrifice. And my questions are, you know, what does your heart look like? Are you the first to sacrifice for one another? Or is your primary concern your rights and privileges? Is my first thought, what are my rights and my privileges? I have the right to this, and it is important that you understand my rights. Or are we the first to say, you know what, I will sacrifice for one another? Are you most concerned about the impact a decision will have on you or others? Because Jesus obviously had of most importance to himself the impact his decision would have on everyone else. He always thought, how will this affect everyone else. And so it is sacrifice versus self-absorption. The second contrast is service versus consumption. The world says, serve me and serve me now, and if you fail to do so my way and fast enough, I will go someplace else. When I get to an ATM machine, oh, no, no, worse, when I get to a fast food drive through line, I get angry if it takes them more than one minute. Right? 
We have Amazon, so we can have it here in two days. And now I see that it, sometimes you can get it here the next day. Why would I ever go to Walmart or anywhere else when I can get it online? That's what the world says. I don't have time for waiting. I don't have time for this. I need it now, and I need it my way. And we have materialism that is just so uh, flashing red and, 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 and bold at you all the time. You need this. 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 Without this, you're unhappy. You know, I can't even listen to the radio in my vehicle anymore without getting irritated with the number of advertisements telling me what I need. Over and over again, what I need, what I need. That's what the world says. The kingdom of God, radically different. Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to offer everything of myself for those who would despise and hate me. Paul says in Romans 12 that we should be devoted to one another, having a competition, literally, to outdo honoring one another. What do we want to do? We want to announce, hey, I'm the pastor of this church. You should honor me. You should recognize me. Hey, I'm an elder. I'm a deacon. I'm a, I'm a regular attender. I faithfully give all the time. You should recognize me. I need my name on a plaque somewhere. I need to be recognized. No, no, no. The kingdom of God says, you want to be the greatest? Be the lowest. Be serving. What does your heart look like? Whose interest is your primary concern? Paul, right before he wrote that incredible uh, dialogue about what the, the mind of God, he says in Philippians chapter 2, 3 and 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, what? Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Jesus says it's like this little child that you consider insignificant, this should be your heart and ministry. The ones who are insignificant, not yourself. Whose interest is your primary concern? Are you looking to meet the needs of others or yourself first? This is a hard one I had to ask myself as I thought through it. When you come to church, do you seek out your friends? Or... Are you seeking out the lonely, hurting, or the stranger? I know how I answer that. Because I'm seeking my own interest. I want to talk to the people that are going to fill me with joy and excitement because they're my friends. Because they, they are people that I have grown to know and love. And I'm not saying you can't do that. But, but our heart should be on honoring others and seeking and ministering. And, and we, you know, do we come to church to to have my needs ministered to? Do I come to church to have my needs met? Do, is it to, to be fed? Is it to be, you know, those are important, but they are not the primary importance. The kingdom of God is others-centered. And the third contrast that Jesus lays out for us is in this last paragraph, and it's humility versus pride. The world says, look at me and what I have done. Recognize me. Watch sports for about 10 seconds and you'll see the reality of this in our culture. Sports, multi-billion dollar industries. You have sports figures that literally say, 
I am going to hold out on the contract that you have given me. I am not going to play, even though you have agreed, and I have agreed with you, to this amount. I am going to stop fulfilling my end of the contract until you give me more than that person because I am better than them. That's our society. And if you think it's only in the sports world, it is creeped throughout all of humanity. Look at me and what I have accomplished. Over and over again, it's, it's look at me and what I have done. Jesus says, my Father sees what you do in secret and will reward you. Let not your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you pray, don't stand out there and make it known to everybody that you're doing it. Even he who gives a cup of water to someone in my name, he will by no means lose his reward. Jesus says the ministry of the unrecognized is recorded in heaven. What does your heart look like? Why do you serve? What's your motive? Is it so that people can see that I am actively doing my part? Is it so that people can know that I am uh, uh, accomplishing something? Is it because I feel a need to be recognized? Do you feel a need to be recognized for all your sacrifices and labors? Jesus recognizes the things that are not seen. And when it comes to this kingdom of God, and it comes to our service, it might be good to just end with this. Is it enough for you that the Father sees? In a world that says, look at me, look at me, look at me, is it enough if nobody on this earth ever sees or recognizes what you did, but the Father does? Is that enough? So as Jesus is laying this out, I am sure that the disciples got none of it. I'm sure that they, at this moment in time, probably didn't understand. And they probably were like, yeah, Jesus, okay, I get it. We were bad because we were bragging about who was going to be the greatest. And you were thinking about your, this weird thing. Because they didn't understand that he was going to Jerusalem to die. And then he brings this child in. Can you imagine the disdain that they may have had that Jesus is saying in the middle of a teaching time that this rabbi gathers his students all around him, has them sit down. He's like, I'm going to teach you guys something really important. Hey, little child, come here. This is important and of most importance. And when you give a cup of water, not when you give the place of honor, but when you give a cup of water to someone in my name, that's of most importance. Can you think through what the disciples must have thought? Because as, as we can look back in history, they probably at this time were still thinking of Jesus coming as a political king to overthrow the world and to lay down his kingdom with force. And they're sitting here saying, no, 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 he's talking about doing everything through humility and grace and sacrifice. And that's the reality of the church. One of the things that makes the church so beautiful is that the church understands the gospel. That the gospel is not about what we deserve or what we think we deserve, but it's about what we get when we don't deserve it. 
That the gospel says that Jesus Christ came and he looked upon those who were his own and they did not receive him, that they rejected him, that they treated him with scorn and shame and they crucified him and and, and this godly, uh, uh, perfect, holy uh, son of God died on a cross. And he says, for you I die. And the incredible nature of the gospel is this, that whoever believes, not whoever gives specific amounts of money, not whoever prays so many times, not whoever attends church so many times, not whoever uh, uh, serves in children's ministry X number of times, not whoever does this, this, or that, but it's the reality is that God said that whoever believes in my Son, whom I love, who I sent and died a perfect and holy death for you, he shall be given the right to be called my child. It is so contrary to the world. My prayer is that as we consider these things and we meditate on them, and I gave you a lot of questions to search, and they're probing questions, and I would encourage you to probe your own hearts and to ask yourself, because it searches the motives The Word of God, we're told, is sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing joints and marrow, heart, soul. It dives deep in, and he that is equipped to use it is able to discern right from wrong. And the Word of God is here, speaks to us, and it says, here is what the kingdom of God looks like, and it is vastly different than the kingdom of this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your kingdom is not a kingdom built on conquest with sword, with power and might. Your kingdom is built grace, mercy, and love. Lord, I pray for HCC that we would grab hold of the reality that it is your work that we ought to be others-focused we ought to seek to sacrifice because you have laid an example for us. That you offered your life and Father you are calling us to take up our cross and to follow you. And Father I pray that our hearts would be that when somebody new walks into this place that they see a place where brothers and sisters seek to honor and outdo one another in honoring each other seeking to serve and to bless and not be consumed Lord with self and what I can get Lord it is such a temptation to fall prey to God help us Help us not to be consumed with ourselves. Help us not to be consumed with striving to achieve or to uh, uh, acquire.
Lord, would the principles of the kingdom be written deep in our hearts? Father, would we understand the truth of the gospel? Would we remind ourselves that a gospel culture is one where we are given and receiving forgiveness? Where we are giving and receiving love? Lord, I pray for anyone in here today that does not know you that does not understand the concept of a relationship with you because you are one who has freely given and offered. But I pray for anyone in here today who thinks that their relationship with you is based upon their works and service for you. Lord, would they be freed from that today? Lord, for those who have brought in burdens and baggage... But I pray that they'd be able to lay that down at the altar and never pick it up again. Lord, would you make it our heart cry that we would be not thinking of ourselves, but thinking of our brothers and sisters. Lord, even as you went to the cross, as you marched on to Jerusalem, you thought of serving these men. And you thought of serving us today. And we rejoice in that because if you had said no, you would have had every right to leave and walk away and never offer yourself. But for the joy set before you, you endured a cross. And you bled and died in our place. And you are risen alive today. We thank you, Jesus. We pray your blessing upon your people today. In Jesus' name, amen.